This podcast is sponsored by the Club Women's Network. It can be lonely working for yourself, so this online support and learning network is here to help women learn what they need to know to stay in business. They meet online twice a month and in-person meetups too. They teach you everything from reels to financial forecasting. For more information, check out theclubwomensnetwork.com. Welcome to the Mum Mind Podcast, or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry, I'm a mum of two, and I'm, I'm a preschool activity and behaviour specialist, but one that can't talk. And I created Kindrama to support this age group's development. Hello, I'm Bethan O'Reardon, I'm a psychotherapist, mum of three, and I set up the online parenting community, the Calm Parenting Community. So each week we answer one of your parenting questions and share our parenting experience and our professional experience. But this week we are doing something different. Yes, we've been doing our little introduction episodes. Yeah, maybe we should have done that last year when we started Probably. this, but we are where we are. Yeah, <laughs> who are these people that we're listening to? <laughs> and today the spotlight is on you, Steph. Dun, dun, dun. Where to begin? Where to begin? I always love telling the story of why I was born in a fairly, I was going to say a nasty word then. I was born near Swindon, in Swindon. Where is Swindon? Swindon is in Wiltshire in the West Country of England, but I wasn't supposed to be born there. And I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but my um, dad was a fireman and my mum was a nurse. And my parent, my grandparents had a dairy farm And that was in Wiltshire. So my mum and dad were living in Norfolk and I was supposed to be born in Norfolk. But they'd spent the previous five years doing up an old wreck of a house. And then they decided they needed a little little holiday before I came along. So they went down to the dairy farm and, you know, it was supposed to be a two week holiday. Then we were going back to Norfolk and I was going to be born. But dad had an accident. He was out with my granddad on the baler baling hay and it broke down. And they were five miles from the farmhouse. This was 1974. And dad went into the baler to fix it. And as he was coming out of the baler, he shouted, OK, as in, OK, I fixed it. And my granddad thought he meant, OK, switch it on. And my dad literally hauled his leg out of the baler and it was completely mangled. Oh, God, Steph. I know. Very That's dramatic. Isn't it? it is incredible. And uh, so what... were you born live when that was happening? No, more or less. My poor <laughs> mum. So long story short, it took them a long while to get dad to hospital because there were no telephones around. And, you know, he saved his own life by showing my granddad how to make a tourniquet and keep releasing it. Um, and eventually they got him to hospital, but eventually he lost the leg. So I've seen an amazing photograph of his leg before it was amputated. So the knee is completely intact and the foot is completely intact, but everything else in between is just mangled. Holy smoke. Yeah, crazy. And because my mum was a nurse, my granddad went back to her and said, oh, Bill's had a bit of an accident. <laughs> she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's hurt his foot. That was all she knew till she got to the hospital and the matron said, I think you better sit down because they'd, they'd already amputated then. Incredible, isn't it? And you know, when I look back now as an adult and kind of somebody that's dabbled in kind of these kind of things where you think about your life and your parents' life, I think, God, in the, so in my dad's, in my first year, my dad lost his leg, he lost both his parents, and they moved to the other side of the country. 
Like that's one hell of a lot of trauma. Like, and his fire yeah. fireman career was over. Okay. So then he had to, you know, find work and find another job and learn to walk again and do all of those things. And you think, gosh, yeah. And did he have a prosthetic leg? He did, yeah. I have it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one of them. He had many prosthetic legs. But, uh, yeah, my brother, he got married in May and he had one with a flower arrangement on the top table. <laughs> so the part of dad was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had great fun with that prosthetic leg when we were kids. You know, saying to our friends, oh, yeah. And, like, the number of times my dad fell because, of course, he couldn't feel. Actually, he fell. It's coming up to jazz weekend here. And he had a nasty fall outside. Oh, what's that pub called? Is the, the Friary? No, you know where I mean. Um, it's got, it's Franciscan Well. Okay. It's got cobblestones Cobbles. as you walk yeah, in. And my dad, a nightmare. yeah, my dad couldn't feel under that foot. You, you can generally feel, you get feedback to know whether it's slippy or not. And he fell. He had a, had a few pints. Uh, he fell and the, the bounce his face because it looked like he completely snapped his leg in half. But my dad was in hysterics laughing and he was going, all right, sir, don't move, don't move. And I was like, he's fine. He's fine. You're a disgrace, <laughs> strap, dad. Get strap home. Strap the leg back on. Oh, so, yeah, that man. was my that was my introduction to the world. So lots of stress going on around you. Yeah. Born where you weren't meant to be, moved back home. Yeah. And then what? Then tell then us what? about you. Oh, I, don't know. I, have a, I have a younger brother, four years younger than me. Okay. And school was fine. I was, I was one of the singing, dancing ones. I was a twirly, as they were known. A twirly? Twirly. Have you never heard that expression? No, I haven't. A twirly. They'd, they'd be the people in the chorus of a show. I, so that's all I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be Madonna growing up, basically. Still want, can, Steph. Yeah, there's, still time. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up, I didn't. So in England, you can finish school when you're 16. You don't have to go on and do A-levels. So I begged and pleaded my parents to go to London. I went to London. When I was 16 and I went to Italia Conti, which was a performing arts academy. I mean, it's incredible, right? I'm just back from London. Well, maybe a week or two. And it's incredible to think that at 16 you lived by yourself in London. I lived in the International Student Hall of Residence my first year. That was my mom. My parents were like, you're not living anywhere else. So that they had an element of control. So international students' houses for, obviously, international students, but for people that go to any college, not specifically the Italia Conti. So it, its main building is off Great Portland Street, and they had a second building by Regent's Park, and I was lucky enough I was in the Regent's Park building. I look back and go, now, how beautiful. But it's right by the Royal College of Music. It's right by, by the Imperial College of Music, so loads of musicians, um, loads of uh, fashion and makeup students. I think I was the only twirly. I was quite a novelty. But yeah, made loads of friends that first year, all from all different backgrounds, all different people. And yeah, got up to all sorts of mischiefs. <laughs> Save that for another yeah. podcast. And how do. long did you say you lived in the halls of... Yeah, I did, I did one year of halls, um, then did what most people do, did shared house with girls, ended up in a bed sit in Bayswater and then after college uh, another bed sit in Pimlico. I often think about that when we talk about the housing crisis here. Like I could never have lived in London if it wasn't for shitey apartments and bed sits yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cheap accommodation, you know. Yeah, I think getting rid of the bed sits it's like that's fine, but what are you going to replace them yeah. with? Yeah. I know. And I think, you know, loads of People that were starting out, particularly in the arts, lived in bedsits. You know, you had a shared bathroom 
and you had like a little kitchenette, bedroom, stroke, sitting room. That's where you spent most of your time. But I had loads of great memories of bed sits and the adventures and the people that we knew there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole, it's like a whole, um, oh, like a whole community, right? The bed sit yeah. community. Yeah. Anyway. So, so then, then what happened? So hold on a minute. So what were you actually studying? <laughs> I think I my mean, parents are still asking yeah. that question. <laughs> what did you actually what, do? What, what did you actually do? Well you, do? well, you do, gosh, you do all sorts. I mean, drama, anything to do with drama, singing, dancing. So all the all the different disciplines, ballet, modern, tap, jazz, double work, contemporary. All double the, work? Double work Isn't is like, partner work. So right. lifts and things like that. Okay. Yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking, like, do you know when, like, um, someone needs a stunt double? <laughs> Oh, oh, we did do stage fighting, <laughs> stage combat, yeah. Um, so were you like a great dancer before you went there? I then? wasn't a great dancer. In fact, that was my weakest subject. And actually oh. one I didn't enjoy so much. I didn't have I didn't have a great time at college. Like those kind of colleges, like I was at college with people like Russell Brand and, you know, like they're places for huge personalities you know, I remember the first year I arrived here, m- there, most of the cast of Grange Hill were there in real life. And you're like, oh, my God, that's him from Grange Hill and that's yeah. so-and-so from EastEnders. And you have to kind of try and find your niche and your selling point, I guess. And I did get a bit lost. I, I've talked on here before. I ended up with anorexia. And I think that was a little bit of kind of trying to gain control over my life but also trying to fit in because you spend all day every day in leotards in front of mirrors with people commenting on the way you look. You go up for parts and you don't get them because of the way you look. And back then people were very, you know, you're too curvy, you're too fat, you're too dark, you're too this. You know, no no sh- shame in saying it to you. And, you know, you can end up quite quite damaged from those places or you could back then. I hope it's different now. Well, there was an expose recently, wasn't there, about one of these dance skills where people saying they pushed them to anorexia. Mm. And yeah, so you were there. Um, What kind of thing do you qualify in from somewhere like that? Well, I was lucky in that I did do my teaching qualifications. I did do drama and uh, uh, did I do? I I didn't do ballet. I did modern and tap. So you, there are associates and licentiates that you can do that are teaching qualifications effectively. I did start off doing A-levels as well, but they were extra to the... I mean, it's not like college, like, you know, you hear people going in four hours a day or not even that. This was nine to five, singing, dancing, you know, eat, sleep, breathing. And if you were rehearsing a show, that was after hours. And if you were doing an A-level, that was before college. So I did start out my first year doing an English A-level and then just... Intense. Uh, really intense. And like having to be, you know, across London, humping across London at fucking seven o'clock in the morning and then not getting back till nine o'clock at night and not eating very much in between. It didn't really suit me. Holy smoke stuff. Yeah. So you graduated with a what? <laughs> well, you graduate with merit or honours or whatever, but it's okay. it's that bit is kind of made up. Whatever qualif- teaching qualifications you got, that was completely up to you. Okay. I mean, their main aim is to get you out and working in theatre, drama, TV. You're put up for auditions all the time. Um, and that's what I did. When I left college or kind of in my final year and as I was leaving college, I started working in all the big shops. So... Uh, there was an agency that you could work for and you could work in places like um, Dickens and Jones, Dickens and Jones, 
Peter Jones, you know, all the Bentles in Kingston-upon-Thames and then you worked your way up to Selfridges and then if you kept going, you could actually work in Harrods, which is what I ended up doing. So that was my in side. department? Well, I used to work in the SOS department, which meant you never knew where you were working. You'd arrive for work in the morning and then they'd say, we need staff on hosiery. <laughs> never liked working in hosiery. All jewellery or makeup or wherever. And off you'd go. But this was when Al-Fayed ran the place and it was run, it was a very tight ship. It was high security. I could tell you loads of random facts about Harrods, but it was good money. That was why I was doing it. Yeah. So it meant I could work like three days a week there and the rest of the week I could take classes or I could audition. And that's what I started doing, auditioning for shows and doing that. I think my first show, I think my first proper paid job was, um, an opera stroke ballet um, going around Europe, Germany, Austria and Switzerland. And I think back now, I, I think I was 18. I was a baby. I was a baby packing my big suitcase thinking I would need it <laughs> off around Germany, Austria and Switzerland doing this kind of... We were dancers, so the, the dancers were English, the cast were German and the orchestra were Polish. <laughs> What a combination. I know. But we went all around Europe and stayed in nice hotels and explored all different beautiful cities across Germany and Austria and Switzerland. But, you know, we were still kind of fairly young, naive performers back then, not being paid very much money, still not eating very much, you know, surviving, but getting great experience. Yeah. Mad stories. And what other kind of shows did you do? Any in, any in the UK? Yeah, I did the Royal Variety Show a few times, which, if you don't know, is like a big, a yearly thing where a member of the royal family comes and watches it. But it's generally celebrities and, you know, big acts from the from the London West End, places like that. I did, you know, TV commercials, all these little kind of bits and bobs, but never really made it. Do you know what I mean? And that got frustrating. It, you know, it's like... I didn't have a tough enough skin to keep auditioning for stuff and not get it. And I, like you, uh, eventually met an Australian man who was like, oh, come to Oz. I was like, oh, that sounds really appealing. And my mum and dad were going through a fairly messy divorce at the time. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely appealing. I'm I'm going there. Where did you go? Uh, Well, not far from you, weirdly enough. So when you told your story, I was like, oh, how weird. I ended up on the Gold Coast, just south of Brisbane. um, Surfer's Paradise, kind of near there. So I was I became a beach babe for a while and hang out there. But I still yes, auditioned. I still auditioned for things. I got very close to getting laid Mears in Australia. I uh, oh, did all sorts of jobs there. And it was my first time teaching younger kids. That was oh. where my little seed was planted. I remember t- working with preschool kids, doing some dancing and just going, well, they are just amazing. Oh. I'd never really worked with kids that young. So... Uh, yeah, I just thought they were the cutest things on the planet. And the fact that they were, yeah, yeah we'll do that. We'll do that. Miss, I love your hair. <laughs> and it's so, I mean, I guess like the allure of fame, right? Yeah. It's so alluring, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I'm going to go to this, try and be this person. But the reality of connecting with children. Yeah. And just thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. Well, when I look back now, like, you know, I don't still know them, but I know people that became very well known. And I look back and think I was actually saved because if I had become well known at that age with my head the way it was and my eating the way it was and my view of the world and what it was, 
oh my God, it would have just chewed me up and spat me out. Yeah. It really would have done. So now I look back and it's kind of weird because, you know, you think your life is going to go this way, that you're going to be Madonna. And then it doesn't pan out that way. And then you're really glad you're not Madonna. Yeah. That, that's how genuinely how I feel about it now, because I don't think I'd have anywhere near the quality of life that I have. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Life throws you um, some curveballs. Yeah. Kinderama is a multi-activity programme for younger kids. We love to try a bit of everything. Dance, drama, music, yoga, gymnastics, sports and mindfulness all delivered in imaginative classes with original songs, stories, costumes, props and puppets. Kinderama is available in school, in creche or online. Check out kinderama.com for more info. So that relationship didn't work out and I came back home like you and that was when I fell into radio. So I went back to mum was in Wiltshire. She'd moved house. I rented a little cottage in the same little village where she was. And I kept hearing on the radio the traffic reports being done from a little plane. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I went to the radio station. And I said, how do I do that? And they said, oh, you can come and be like a promotional girl for us. But that is actually another company. And then another boyfriend at the time actually was at a, a like a job seminar somewhere. And that company, Traffic Link, they were called at the time, happened to be there. So he said, oh, I've got a contact for you. And this was back in the day when they said, send us a tape. Oh, and wow. I remember doing the, you know, the record and the play on an actual cassette tape and doing a fake traffic report yeah, yeah. with music in the background. Oh, Steph, is that brilliant? I know. And I got the job. So I ended up doing... Do you still have that? The tape, probably, yeah. somewhere. Oh, man, you have to get awful. that for us. Yeah, great. Even better. So I worked in the grounds office, which was based in uh, Bristol Evening Post building, so where they printed the newspaper. Traffic link were based there. I worked on the ground crew, as they called them then, like just putting together reports. And the very, very first live report I did was for BBC Wiltshire Sound. And it had to be one minute and five seconds long. And the person introduces you, and you have to talk for a minute and five seconds, whether you know a minute and five seconds worth of traffic or not. And I was so nervous, and I knew my mum was listening in Wiltshire and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was the start of it. Anyway, long story short, I then got the job in the plane, and that's one of the best jobs I ever had. It was a little sexy Cessna that used to go up twice a day, and we used to fly. Steph, this is I so know, funny. Mad, mad <laughs> job, right? We used to have to be at Bristol Airport by 6am. I want you to go around like career fairs telling kids <laughs> that this is a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we used to go up. There were two reporters and one pilot. And we used to go up and report on traffic. So one would do, uh, I can't remember the way it was split, but basically, basically we'd cover Wiltshire, Bristol, Gloucester, Dorset and somewhere else, Bath. And we do all the we dial into all the local radio stations and give them their traffic reports, and we could see live, you know, what was happening on the thing. So I've got loads of recordings of that. We had great crack up there, and then you'd go home in the middle of the day, and then you'd go back again in the evening. You'd fly again at four o'clock till six o'clock. I think we used to land on what half a six. I know, but that is also when I started the first iteration of Kinderama, because I kind of thought radio gigs. <laughs> as we know of recent times in Ireland, um, then they're only ever a year contract. Okay. Like nobody's ever permanent staff on radio. You can be sacked in the drop of a hat. So I knew I wanted to start something 
that gave me, you know, I could get my feet under the table, I could put down roots, I could unpack a suitcase and stay in one place. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it enabled me to do. And I started off running kind of classes in community halls, but that was then kind of like hard work because, you know, people have to come to you and you have to hire the hall and whether anyone shows up or not. Yeah. And then I ended up taking it into the schools and into the creches. And as my radio career went on, I was growing Kinderama kind of in between. It wasn't Kinderama back then, but it became Kinderama in 2004. I'm 20 years old next year Aww. as far as business is concerned. Oh, which I have a big party. cannot believe. Like, I just can't believe. And so what is Kinderama for people that don't know? So I Kinderama for me was about boys and girls doing it in their own clothes. That was really important. I didn't want parents to have to go and buy leotards or tights or shoes. I didn't want it to be strict or serious because yeah. my childhood memories of kind of ballet classes weren't very pleasant at all. So I wanted this to be fun. I wanted it to be to loads of different types of music, opera, rock, you know, anything. Think of, you know, 50s rock and roll or, you know, um, long train running or Katie Melua. Like we used so many different types of music not necessarily kiddie music, what's deemed as kiddie music. It was just opening up their horizons. And then I wanted all kids to be able to have a go at all kinds of different things. So our syllabus has grown over the years. But, you know, if we were going to do something, I wanted all the kids to wear a mermaid and dragon tail, not just two of them. You know, so I got 24 costumes made. Or if we were going to be walking on stilts, I wanted all the kids at the same time to walk on stilts. I wanted 24 sets of stilts for us to, you know, so I gradually have built it up over the years. And that's exactly what we do. That's why. So so some people will, will say to me, well, why can't the creches and preschools do it themselves? Well, because they're not going to go and buy 24 sets of mermaids yeah. or fairy wings or balls or basketballs or whatever you know it, it's, and it's the planning of it as well I think people yeah. don't realize that you don't just rock up and no. hey guys we're going to play today that well, you, you bring all of your performing arts experience yeah. no I've written stories and I've yeah. I've voiced songs and I've written songs and my amazing friend uh Rob Henderson in Bath who's just he's he's a software developer or something technical like that but not music orientated he is one of the most talented musicians I know and he helps put all the tracks together. He does all the music stuff. So I often send him a voice note going, can you do something to this? And he'll go, yeah. And he sends back the most amazing instrumentation and he does it all on the keyboard and it sounds phenomenal. And it just, I think it really helps Kinderama be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. And then I met an Irishman. That happens. That I met happens, him on a skiing holiday. Met him on a skiing holiday. I was with the girls. He was with the boys. And this will this will uh, embarrass him. He sent me a text. He took my UK number because I was reluctant to give him a phone number. I was like, well, you live in Ireland. Had never had any connection with Ireland whatsoever. And he said, no, 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 I need your number. And he sent me a text saying, you're spectacular. I'm going to call you very soon. Aww. There you go. And he came over, so I, by this time I was doing the breakfast show on KISS FM in in the Bristol studios. It was the weekend breakfast show. And he came over for Easter weekend, like four days. I remember saying to my friend, Kane, what if we don't get on? <laughs> <laughs> but we did get on. And eventually, however many years down the line, I ended up moving here. And I worked on Red FM for a bit. 
I did uh, the Red Alert show on Saturday night and I covered various shows when people were on holiday and stuff no like way. that. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, that's originally what I started until I got Kinderama up off the ground here. And that was like starting again, starting yeah. again because I didn't yeah, know yeah. anyone or anything. I didn't know what the Jack Lynch tunnel. I, I used to say, to, I used to get the golden pages and say to Neil, right, which one is this side of the Jack Lynch tunnel and which one is this side of yeah, the Jack yeah. Lynch tunnel? That was my marker yeah. for where things were. Yeah, and eventually grew Kinderama and Donna that has worked for me for 12 years. She came on board just before Daisy was born. Uh, so she was my cover. And then she stayed She stayed with me ever since. That's Gradually, we, I've hired more girls and we've moved down into Kerry now. And we do the online stuff as well, but that happened during the pandemic. So that was when the whole world shut down. Yeah, that was my... I think I poured my grief into that because Dad passed away right at the very, very start of the pandemic. Oh, that's so hard. Very hard. And we didn't get a normal funeral. And we didn't get any of the normal stuff. I mean, I talked about it on Instagram. It was fairly horrific. But I, I genuinely think I poured all my creative stuff. Like, he never saw the online stuff. He never saw me in the red wig or anything like that. And I genuinely think that gave me the energy to do it. Yeah, but this is why as well. I mean, like... <laughs> Oh, creativity underpins everything that's good for us. Yeah. Creativity underpins how happy we are. Yeah. It underpins how we cope with life. This is why so much more funding needs to be poured into helping children be creative rather than academic. Yeah. And I love going yeah. into places now, say like a, an autistic uh, unit or whatever attached to a school. And you have kids that really don't respond to anything else, but they'll respond to music and yeah. they'll respond to costumes and they'll respond to kind of pretending. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really powerful. And that's why I do absolutely love it. And parents can buy Kinderama to have in their home. They can. Yeah. So you can go on to Kinderama.com and it's 52 for the year. So it's a euro a week. And basically you can then stream that. So you can have like live classes. And some of the schools do this as well for wet breaks. So basically you could go on and maybe your child's tired. Maybe they need a little bit of wind down time and maybe you need to go make a cup of tea. So there'd be a 10 minute meditation on there and you can say, OK, I'm going to put this on. You do what Steph says. And, it, you know, they could partake in a, in a meditation mm. or if they're bouncing off the walls and you need them to do some exercise. You know, there, there's 20 minute classes on there that they can dance around, jump around, play a game, burn off some energy. And it just means mums and dads get a little bit of a break, which obviously in the pandemic we all needed, but we all need that all the time. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds really amazing. Yeah. And mad. what now? Now living in Cork, two children. Yeah, I'm still hoping I'll be Madonna. <laughs> one husband, <laughs> one cat. One cat, yeah. Yes. Now doing all of that. Yeah. And I do feel it, it kind of all came together. All of that performing arts stuff, all of the little kids stuff. You know, all of that came together. Then the radio background, doing this kind of stuff. Like, we couldn't do this stuff if I didn't... I don't think we could. If I, I mean, I don't... I had to ask you a few weeks ago what I mean was. <laughs> yeah, we're totally goosed. <laughs> you know, it would have been too expensive to hire somebody yeah. to record this. And we were able to do this. We were talking earlier about all those things that you think you've forgotten, but they all come back and they all have some use at some point. Yeah. And here we are today. Here we are today. Oh. Anything else you want to say about you? No, 
but I guess, you know, we told the story on your podcast. That's how I met you because I think like you, I thought having kids, oh, that's going to be a breeze. I'm going to have six kids. They're going to be running around in nappies <laughs> and wellies. It'll be fine. And I think, you know, the intricacies of parenting and realising I have all this experience with kids, but this is a whole different ball game. makes you see parents, particularly mums, in a whole new light. Mm. And I came to see you when we were struggling when Sam was about three or four and I did the parenting course and that just opened my eyes to a whole different view of parenting and you and I stayed in touch over the years and then out of the blue I said to you one day let's do a podcast because I just felt like you with the the calm parenting community um I didn't feel there was anything out there giving parents advice not the you know this is how you toilet train. This is how you. Yeah, I get that. Kind that. Of advice. Yeah, yeah, not that kind of advice. That's so, simple, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know it doesn't feel it at the time. Yeah, yeah, but it it was more the kind of mental health. It was more the I don't know why this is bringing this up in me. I thought you were going to say mental hell. <laughs> well, that too. At points, let's be honest. So yes, that is the story of me, and that is how this podcast came to be. So go to kinderama.com mm-hmm. and suss it out. And it might not be for you, but it might be for somebody that you know or your preschool or whoever. Yeah, and I know that, like, my mum and dad are always saying, what can we get your kids for Christmas? And, I mean, yeah. my kids are old enough, so they want money and clothes. <laughs> but when they were younger and you have a house full of toys and you don't really need anything else, a subscription to Kinderama is just yeah. the ticket. Thank you for selling, selling that. Well, very good I mean, you. I mean it as well. But play... The other thing is that I think it's great about Kinderama, and I know we have to finish up, but is that... As a parent, when you're mentally drained and you have to play with your kid, sometimes it's like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Even though you have a house full of toys and a house Mm. full of bits. So you can stick on Kinderama and do the Kinderama with your child. Yeah. Especially if you're struggling with your own mind and you need space from your child, but you still need to be with them. Take the pressure off. And this is like a, a kind of intermediary, like a thing in between. And actually, I love... Some of the feedback I get back, um, there was a lady messaged me and said it was brilliant because they did the space adventure together and then the little one said, can we make a rocket? So then she got all the empty cardboard boxes she could and they spent the rest of the day making a rocket. Yeah. You know, And that started just with the 20-minute activity in Kinderama. So there you go. Yeah, it does help. It does. Job done. Okay. We'll talk to you next time. Next time. The Calm Parenting Community is my online support for parents. It's waitlist free and inside is myself and a child and family therapist. So together we offer you 42 years experience helping children and family to solve your parenting problems. If you want to join us, head to my website, bethanoreardon.com and be the change your children need.